0: Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. The text for the sermon today is the Gospel reading, particularly focusing in on verses 8 to 11. I'll read them to you again now. And when the advocate comes, he will prove the world wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment, about sin because they do not believe in me, About righteousness, because I am going to the Father and you will see me no longer. About judgment, because the ruler of this world has been condemned. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that as we hear your word today, you would pour out anew on us your Holy Spirit to lead us deeper into all truth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Who is the Holy Spirit and what is he all about? Jesus uses a name for the Holy Spirit today to teach us about this. He calls the Holy Spirit our advocate. It's the same word that you may know from other versions of the Bible as the helper or the comforter or the counsellor. And all of those have something to them to help us understand more about the Spirit and His work. But this word, the advocate, is very helpful especially in this context because it brings us into the imagery of the courtroom. And there were other words in our text that go along these lines. I wonder if you heard them. That the Spirit testifies that he proves the world wrong or more simply that could be he convicts, he brings to a conviction. This is a legal sort of picture here where the Holy Spirit is in some sense both the counsel for the defence as well as God's prosecutor. And one of the really interesting things about that is that Jesus speaks these words on the night before He died. So, on the very next day, Jesus will literally go on trial and he will be convicted as guilty, although unjustly so, and he will be condemned as a sinner and he will be sentenced to death and at the end of it, to all appearances, the trial will be over. But what if the trial isn't over? What if Jesus' trial before Pilate was only the beginning and the particular work of the Holy Spirit is to go on prosecuting the case for Christ in the world ever since? That's what Jesus effectively says today. That the Spirit will completely reverse the result of the trial happening the next day. That as the apostles go out bearing witness, proclaiming the word of God, the Spirit will come to prove the world wrong, to convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Or as one modern translation has it, what's wrong, what's right and who's one. So let's take a closer look at this work of the Spirit today. First, the Holy Spirit comes, Jesus says, to convict the world concerning sin or what's wrong. So, left on our own, this world, Jesus says, has the wrong idea about sin, the wrong idea about what's wrong and it's the Spirit's work to bring about a change in this. So, what does the world think about sin? Well, maybe that it doesn't exist at all, Maybe that right and wrong are all relative and you can't impose your morality on anyone else. Maybe simply to minimise sin, to think, well, sure, nobody's perfect, but my little errors aren't all that serious, are they? Or maybe to think that, yes, sin is a problem, but only in other people, in the really bad ones. It's interesting just to think about where the word sin is even used in everyday conversations in our society. It can be quite telling. So, for example, I went on the advertiser website this week and I just did a search for the word sin to see what would come up and straight away something strange happened. All these stories came up about sport. You think, well, that's strange. Now, first there was the sin bin, of course, for players who transgress on the field. But then as I read on it got more interesting because there were these headlines talking about coaches and clubs not performing in various ways and the headline talked about these as sin. And at one point there was something about some strategic problem in a club and it even used the word unforgivable sin. Now you think too about the ball tampering saga in Australian cricket. The whole way that played out was quite astonishing as if bending the rules in a cricket game is the biggest sin you can commit in this country. The public scandal, the national shaming, the need for on-camera repentance and media-imparted absolution. Now, of course what they did was wrong, of course it was cheating, but if we react and behave as if bending the rules of a cricket game is the most serious form of sin... Friends, we need the Spirit to come and bring us to another conviction of what is really wrong in this world. That all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and that the wages of sin is death. That's a bit more serious than a year off from cricket. And notice how Jesus bypasses all of our surface level definitions of what sin is and goes right To the heart, he says, the spirit brings conviction concerning sin because they do not believe in me. What's wrong with the world? According to Jesus, the root wrong in the world is the refusal to believe in him. Unbelief. That's our deepest problem. In some sense, Jesus is saying everything else flows from that and that's a theme consistent in the scriptures. St. Paul puts it like this, for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. And the writer to the Hebrews says, without faith it is impossible to please God. Trust in Christ, the lack of trust in Christ, that's at the root, Jesus says. And the point of his teaching today is that insofar as we are in the world apart from God, we would never come to this conclusion on our own. We need the advocate. We need God's prosecutor to come and convince us and bring us to this conviction. I remember speaking to a young lady who had become a Christian and she was struggling in her relationship with her sister who was not a Christian And her sister had become involved in a particular lifestyle that she was really concerned about, a lifestyle that according to her Christian beliefs was a sinful lifestyle. And in her efforts to engage with her sister, she said to me that her temptation was to focus on this lifestyle and to get caught up in all the details. But then she said to me something I thought was quite interesting she said you know with all of that though i don't think that's really the biggest issue is it the deeper issue is that she doesn't have faith in christ she doesn't have faith in what he's done for her maybe that's where i should engage first maybe that's what i should pray for and the other stuff will work out later and i said Th- i thought she was exactly right the Spirit comes to convict the world concerning sin because they do not believe in me, Jesus says. So first, what's wrong? Next, the Spirit brings a new conviction about what's right, about righteousness. And so again, let's ask, what does the world naturally think of as righteousness, as what's most right? Right. Basically, I think you can boil it down to the thought that we can produce what is good and right on our own and we naturally trust in that, in our own righteousness, if you like. But again, this shows up in all sorts of strange ways in everyday conversation and some of these even use the language, the biblical language of righteousness. So, I'll go out on a little bit of a limb here and I'll suggest that one way you see this in our societies in some of the discussions around food and what we do and do not eat. Now, I just sort of had a feeling about this, but then sure enough, I went online again and I found a health food store, and it's got a restaurant as well, which has the name Righteous Foods. Website, eatrighteously.com. Now, there's nothing wrong with healthy eating, of course but to talk about it in the language of righteousness. Something strange is going on here. Now, another example, maybe another limb here, maybe environmental issues. Sometimes we have these conversations in our society and it sounds as if we're searching for some sort of righteousness there. And sure enough, I found an article online with the title, Carbon Righteousness. And so, in this way of seeing the world, it's almost as if what is most deeply and profoundly right is to do with reducing carbon emissions. Now, don't hear me wrong here. We are to be good stewards of our bodies and eat well. We're to be good stewards of this planet and take care of it. But those are not our deepest righteousness. And insofar as we in our world think they are, we need the Spirit to bring us to this new conviction. And He does. He will prove the world wrong about righteousness because I am going to the Father. In other words, if you want to find what is truly good and right, if you want to find the truest source of righteousness you find it in Jesus and in his going to the Father. That is, in his death on the cross for our unrighteousness, in his resurrection and ascension to vindicate his perfect righteousness. He's the only true righteous one and we are covered with that righteousness in baptism. We share in it by faith. Jesus says in him and his work is the most right good, profoundly right thing in the world. But you don't come to that conviction on your own. You need the Spirit to come and work it in you. So he proves the world wrong about what's wrong. He proves the world wrong about what's right. And finally, about who's won. This is the conviction concerning judgment in our translation because the ruler of this world Has been condemned. Now I'm not going to spend as much time on this point today, but instead I simply like to quote from a man named Frederick Dale Bruner on these verses. He says this In life, it all too often looks as if the ruler of this world, that is the devil, wins the good and evil contests. From the cross through the Holocaust, to contemporary violence and corruption. The Holy Spirit, however, will encourage the church to live and preach and teach that the victory has been won, that her Lord is risen and reigns all appearance to the contrary notwithstanding. Jesus is convinced that the big trial between right and wrong, the big trial between justice and injustice, sin and righteousness is being held at the cross and in his resurrection. And in those events, the ruler of this world has been condemned. It's that vision of the world that the Spirit comes to work in us. And when the Spirit does all this, when he goes to work through the preaching of the world to convict of sin and righteousness and judgment, what happens? What's the purpose of this? Is he a prosecuting attorney who just wants to secure a conviction to condemn? Far from it. We see this even in the New Testament itself. In the passage that followed our account on Pentecost from Acts chapter 2, We see this playing out where Peter preaches his sermon about Jesus and what he's done and then we hear this. They were cut to the heart. There's that convicting work and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? And they said, repent and be baptised every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ so that your sins may be forgiven and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And about 3,000 persons were added that day. You remember at the end of John's Gospel, when this advocate comes, and it's connected to the forgiveness of sins. This is the goal. This is the Spirit's work to bring this conviction, but not to condemn, but to save. Some of you know that I've been involved a little down at the university lately for Bible studies and chaplaincy work and this sort of thing. There's one young man that I've been talking to the last couple of weeks and he's grown up a Christian but drifted away from the faith and he has got a lot of questions, good, deep, very challenging questions about God and the faith. He doesn't necessarily use this language but his questions I would say are about sin and righteousness, and judgment. And I enjoy engaging with him, but it can be pretty tough. But do you know that if it was up only to me, if it was only about my ability to answer and persuade and convince, I can tell you it would be a lost cause. The only thing that gives me confidence is that Jesus promises the Spirit will be at work in the world, testifying, bringing to conviction, guiding into truth. Just picture these first disciples, this small little group going out into the world with a message that the deepest problem is not believing in Jesus, the deepest right is found in Him and His work, the truest judgement has already happened. How could they have any confidence that their message would make an impact? How could they have the courage to do what they are called to do? Because the power was not in them and the power is not in us but in the Spirit, the Advocate, our Helper. The trial is not over. It wasn't over at the cross. It wasn't even over at the resurrection. The trial continues in the world, in the hearts and minds of people today as the spirit, the advocate, prosecutes the case for Christ. In the name of Jesus, Amen. Amen.